Welcome to Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. My name is Dr. Katherine Troyer, and joining me is Anthony Tresca. Hello there, and for those of you joining us for the first time, a very special thank you to you, and for those of you joining us again, also a special thank you. Actually, special thank yous all around. And you get a thank you. And you get a thank you. Everybody gets a thank you. devoted to thoughtful discussions about that fine line between the horrific and the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific horror text that is, for better or worse, giving us nightmares. We both like talking about horror. I like it enough that I actually got a PhD in horror. Well, kind of. Humanities with an emphasis in horror. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. (laughs) I think that, that means that I really like the genre an awful lot, despite the fact that my mom really did not want me watching horror when I was younger. Wow. What do moms know? (laughs) (laughs) So on this podcast, we particularly like talking about things that shouldn't work, but somehow do, or things that should work and for many of our peers do work, but for us don't hit the mark. Today, we're going to be talking about something that shouldn't work, but somehow does for us, and that is the 2008 film Martyrs. Before we get into the discussion of the film, a little bit of framework to start us off. And I want to say, even before that, if you have not yet watched the 2008 film Martyrs, you need to pause this podcast, quickly go watch the film. Emotionally and physically prepare yourself. Yeah, be prepared for the darkness, and then come back and press play. Because if ever there was a film that I did not want to spoil the experience, it would be Martyrs. Yeah. Before I watched it, you had recommended it to me, and I was like, what's it about? And the only thing you would tell me is it's a French extremist film. And I was like, yeah, okay, all right, What? but like, what's it about? But you wouldn't tell me. I know, and I made the mistake of having you watch it right before you were going to have to interact with other humans. Yeah, that was a bad idea. Give yourself at least, at least a, a short window where you can just process everything. Yeah, you're going to want at least five to ten minutes where you just sort of stare off into space and don't have anyone touch you or acknowledge you. Yeah, just let yourself be consumed by the void. So, right, (laughs) that's actually a fantastic transition into the framework because I want to talk about a really important field of study, and that is trauma studies. Trauma studies explores the way that trauma manifests itself in different ways that are not consistent across the board. They're not the same for everyone. And that's really at the heart of trauma is understanding how can we express something that is almost without word, that is almost sort of pre-linguistic in a way that is going to resonate with people. How can we create metaphors and, and ways of understanding the trauma that many of us experience profoundly any given day? And trauma is a defining characteristic of, I think, identities, personal, as well as societal, as well as national. It's, it is a huge part of what defines and shapes us. I'd like to share a quote from the 1985 book, The Body and Pain by Elaine Scarry, where she argues that the ability to destroy one's sense of the world and one's ability to fully communicate any sense of language is sort of at the heart of pain. And so this is a quote from her. She says, pain begins by being not oneself and ends by having eliminated all that is not itself. 
at first occurring not only as an appalling but limited internal fact, it eventually occupies the entire body and spills out into the realm beyond the body, takes over all that is inside and outside, makes the two obscenely indistinguishable, and systematically destroys anything like language or world extension that is alien to itself and threatening to its claim. Terrifying for its narrowness, it nevertheless exhausts and displaces all else until it seems to become the single, broad, and omnipresent fact of existence. Hmm. What I like about this description of the totality of pain here is that it fits really nicely with the question of why should we experience horror? Why should we watch things that are going to be bloody and disgusting, bloody disgusting, that are going to do all of these things? Thank you for the pity laugh. That are going to do all of these <laughs> it wasn't things. Pity. It was a real laugh. No, it was pretty close to pity laugh. <laughs> that do all of these things where we're just watching bodies being systematically destroyed again and again. Why engage with a genre that is promising it's going to do this every single time we engage with it? And I would argue that the answer is, is because the only way that we can even come close to understanding This trauma, is a healthy, normal way to experience trauma without having to actually undergo the ex- horrific experience that will provide us the means to experience trauma. Exactly. It's cathartic and it's also metaphorical. And in this way, like you said, it's, it becomes maybe not healthy. It seems like a weird word to apply, but I think it is the right word. It's, it's a way to deal with it when there's no other way to deal with it. It's the closest you can actually get to it without actually having suffering a traumatic experience. Yes. Suffering trauma is not something that you typically are just like, hey, I want to go out and experience some trauma today. Exactly. And yet, <laughs> we often say, I'm going to go and put on a horror movie today. So it, it is, we're experiencing it vicariously and therefore cathartically. So I think this is the perfect framework for martyrs because now that you all have seen the film, mm-hmm. it's pretty clear why trauma studies and specifically the concept of the totality of pain as a way of destroying and creating a world simultaneously would be a very relevant framework for this film yeah martyrs is a 2008 horror film written and directed by pascal lugier lugier started his career as an assistant to another french director christophe gans who was a french director who specialized specifically in horror and fantasy films. Murders was actually not Lugier's first film. It was the second film after uh, another film he wrote and directed in 2004, St. Angie. Lugier, as you um, may have seen from Martyrs, is very intense and has been commonly associated with the new French extremity movement. And now this was a term that was originally coined by critic, a French critic, James Quantide, to indicate a collection of transgressive film directors right at the turn of the 20th century. So Lugier wouldn't have been included in that initial grouping, but has since been lumped into that group. And it's been like he, while he wasn't at the start of the new French extremity movement, he certainly is a part of it. And I think it's important to know that Quandant used this term not endearingly. No, no, it was a negative term. Yes, he wanted to say, you know, there's something wrong and broken with French film at this point, why do they keep confronting us with this just ickiness? Mm-hmm. I don't like it. And so then he came up with this term. But interestingly enough, even though he intended for it to be a negative thing, many of the films that he put under this label have received critical acclaim. So it, it didn't exactly work out as he'd intended to. They really embraced this label. And so we have scholars now like Alexandra West that really do look at this idea that this movement of film is 
very transformative and that at the heart of it is actually films that grapple with interior struggles that inflict themselves and the characters on the outside world and Mm -hmm. it's about liminal space which we've talked a lot about in this podcast so you're absolutely correct this is a term that now um horror film scholars are like yeah but isn't this kind of great yay another definition of what this is is from uh this is david fear from the rolling stones his definition is of these films the lack of humanity beneath the horror represented in films is what labels them as these new french extremity films a term that's often used synonymously with new French extremism, films that are very gory and visually just sort of in your face. Violent. Yes. Disgusting. Bloody disgusting. Bloody disgusting. Is, <laughs> I told you it wasn't a pity laugh. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> is David Edelstein's term torture porn, which he uses to, again, very negatively, mm. to describe films that he believes are almost fetishizing the violence so that movies like Saw where it's like oh how else could you die and he actually includes in that label not just horror films but films like The Passion of the Christ which he said you know just constantly show you violence for violence sake but this is not what we think Martyrs is doing no that isn't to say that this isn't an intense film right or that Luger is not an intense filmmaker. He was actually coming right off of this film, set to direct the remake of Hellraiser, but was taken off the project due to creative differences. He wanted the film to be very serious and explore gay S&M culture, whereas the producers wanted to appeal to a more commercial and teen audience. So uh, I could see why he might not be a, a mainstream guy. And I feel like when you are taken off of Hellraiser for being too intense. I mean, that that pretty much is all that needs to be said. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we have a film that is essentially about this, like, pain is pleasure motif. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is this is a man who is not afraid to go to places that Dark other people... Places. Yeah, are just not willing to go. And so that's what he did. He's continued to do work very much in line with the, the new French extremity movement. So a little bit about the production of this film... Uh, he actually said in an interview with Shock Till You Drop that this film was rejected by all of the big French studios and by a lot of actresses, too. I mean, I guess that's no big shock there. No, uh, not really. No. <laughs> uh, the film was only really supported by one studio, uh, Canal Plus, the only television channel that he says in France still finances some unusual projects, which I would agree this film is quite unusual. So this film was released at the 2008 Cannes Film Festival and was described as the most divisive film that premiered there. Which, again, uh, if you've seen this film, I that's not surprising news at all. No, not in the least. And, I mean, it still is considered extremely divisive to this day. I mean, its Rotten Tomatoes score is at a 58%, and on Metacritics it only has two reviews on there from certified critics, and these two <laughs> reviews are extremely different. The first review on there is a, gives it 100%. Wow. And the second review gives it a 40. Yeah, that's different. Yeah, very, very different. But it, got, it definitely gets people talking. It got people in America talking enough that it, got, it came over here to do have an American remake that was released uh, January 22nd, 2016. But the remake was panned. It, it not received well because it said it just copied most things from the movie except for the stuff that made it good. That's a problem. That I would say that's a bit of a problem. The first time I saw this film was in a class 
a graduate level class called The Limits of Representation, and then mm-hmm. it was about global horror. And honestly, one of the most disturbing parts about that class was that Martyrs was not the most disturbing film we watched. Hmm. It went further and it went darker, and I, I, I remain scarred by that course and some of the stuff that we encountered in there, because again, Limits of Representation. But this is a film that leaves its mark on you precisely because it's it's not afraid to to go there and then to go just a bit and then a whole lot past there. Oh yeah, it sees the line. It sees the line of what audiences are comfortable with and what they're comfortable seeing. It says, "That's your line." Okay. In like the first act, I'm going to step over that line and by the end of the film, you won't even be able to see the original line because I'm so far past it. And it's amazing to me that that works. Because mm-hmm. there are other films, so I think of the very first Silent Hill film, where there's this thing that penetrates a woman, and it's like, yeah, yeah, we get it. We've, we've seen this before. We don't need to see that. This is 100% unnecessary. Thank you for crossing that line so much. Or there's other films where you're like, did I really need all that nudity? I'm pretty sure I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a film that, that works precisely because it forces us to confront that which we are not prepared to ever confront. So before we go on to talk about all that this film does right, we have a, we have a thing that we always say, that there's no such thing as a perfect film Everything has its problems. And this film is no exception. There are three distinct acts in this film. There's act one, where we have a young Lucy and Anna, and they're sort of dealing with trauma, and they're in this institution that may or may not be an orphanage, but is some sort of government um, institution for small children. Mm -hmm. There's act two, which happens in the home, and that's where Lucy quickly destroys the family and then Anna has to spend a whole bunch of time burying a whole bunch of bodies. Right. And then there's act three, which happens underneath the home where Anna is being made into a martyr. Act one does drag on a little bit. Yeah. It's not quite as sharp as the other two acts. No, the other acts really don't have any room to spare. Every minute is used very thoughtfully and really drives home something very important for the bigger concepts, but there's some super eight footage or simulated yep. super oh, eight yeah. footage at the start of the film that sort of shows us that Lucy and Anna at one time were sort of idyllic children and mm-hmm. they became friends, but Lucy was scarred. So Anna had to work extra hard. And while that does give us information about Lucy and Anna's friendship and, and why Anna would drop everything to go help bury a whole bunch of bodies for her friend, it, it doesn't feel as pivotal to what I think makes this film great as almost everything else in the film. I mean, this film is nihilistic and not hopeful. It feels weird to have those unnecessary moments in there because they don't serve the overall arch of the story. They're just unnecessary. It seems unnecessary. It's fragmented because we are alternating between footage that is clearly crime scene footage to footage that is like who's filming these little kids and why. Um, we have that sort of weird interview with young Anna of, you know, is Lucy t- confessing to you? And then we have a couple just sort of jump scares for the sake of jump scares, all before the credit uh, or the title of the film pops up with Martyrs. In a film that has a running time of 99 minutes, probably the first three to five minutes just kind of could have been shaved off without really losing anything. Because again, once this film gets started, it never stops. Anthony, you also mentioned that you 
weren't sure that you could think of anything super remarkable in terms of the cinematography. Yeah, cinematography is just kind of fine for me. It doesn't, unlike some of the other films that we've been talking about that have, even the films that that don't measure up, they have really remarkable cinematography. But I can't really think of any cinematography in this film that is particularly striking or special. It's serviceable, completely serviceable, and you're not like, well, that's very sloppy and bad, but it's not great. There is one place that I would have to disagree with you, and that is in some of the torture sequences of Anna, because some of this is cinematography and some of this is editing. But there's some interesting things that are happening with the editing and the close-ups that we're getting where temporally we lose sense of time. She could be down there for months or years. She could be down there for days. We don't really know. And I think that it is in large part due to the cinematography and then the editing of that cinematography that creates that effect. The other place where I think really there's some smart decisions happening in terms of the cinematography is during Anna's torture, there are some close-up shots of her face that are very reminiscent of Carl Theodore Dreyer's 1928 film, The Passion of Joan of Arc. If you watch those close-up scenes when she's being tortured and when she's on the pier uh, being lit on fire, it it takes you out of the the location you're really forced to experience this transcendent moment upon Joan of Arc's face and Joan of Arc as the sort of number one saint of France, whether or not this was an intentional decision, it just is too much of a coincidence to not be worth mentioning that in a film that is about martyrs and in a film that is about transcendence and a film that is going to say maybe we shouldn't be encouraging martyrdom to compare that with a film where we have the sort of ultimate martyr Joan of Arc doing all of this for God, right? I think there's just something really sort of profound there, but I don't know if that's intentional or not. So these would be our two quibbles. Yeah, and and they're not they're not exceptionally big because I think so much of this film works so well. Yes. So I would like to add a little just um, a little preface to what all we're go- about to say. I did not enjoy watching this film. I thought that this was extremely difficult to watch and very painful and uh, brought up a lot of feelings that I didn't know necessarily want to be feeling. And that's exactly why this movie is, go- is great and why this movie works so well. Because this is not a movie that I believe Lugier would want you to feel comfortable and just be like, oh yes, I'm going to eat my popcorn, I'm going to have a lovely time and turn on martyrs. Yeah, so in in my home, there are horror movies that we will put on and we'll watch because they're enjoyable and we're like, yay, I hope this person dies soon, right? Like, (laughs) that you're just sort of enjoying it, but you're absolutely correct. I was working on an article on this film and I had to watch those last several minutes of her torture again and again and again. I was like, don't want to do this anymore. And I was like almost rocking back and forth Mm -hmm. because I didn't, I didn't want to. It was hurting my eyes to have to see someone without skin, right? Being tortured by people that are not even doing it passionately. No, it's so dispassionate. And that's, what's so striking that she can be flayed alive and just put into this catatonic state by perpetrators who are just like, very blasé about it. I'm glad you brought this up because it is worth talking about when we think about why do we engage with horror and and why do we like horror that we sometimes like horror precisely because 
we don't like it precisely mm-hmm. because it makes us it brings up things that we would not encounter or uh, on on the whole people don't encounter this every single day in their real life most people assuming you've lived a comfortable enough life are never going to have to experience the or should I hope you don't have to experience the sensation of being flayed alive and tortured until you can ach- achieve a transcendent state if you're listening and you've done that wow but I'm gonna guess that on the whole you probably haven't so this gives us that insight to see it and make you very very uncomfortable and deliver a very profound message all at the same time Sometimes when horror is enjoyable, I think that it's trying to get us to say, oh yeah, maybe we should be punished if we're, you know, having the premarital sex or if we're (laughs) doing the drinking and the drugs. Uh, And it's very, again, sort of that affirmative, uh, you know, maybe the status quo is worth upholding feel to it that that we've talked about uh, in previous podcast episodes. I would argue that this film is actually because of how violently we are forced to react with this film, mm-hmm. it is doing the opposite. It is saying, we're going to show you something that, that we have been told is a good thing. That becoming a martyr, that experiencing this moment of transcendence when you are beyond yourself and possibly experiencing something with something beyond, be that God or just uh, the universe, but you mm-hmm. are in this moment of transcendence. We have been taught in Western culture that this is a beautiful thing. This is a desirable thing? Something to strive for, like... And those people who are martyrs are typically looked up to, held to the highest in society, but that's not what this film is affirming. No, this film, I think, is saying, but wait a minute, maybe this thing that we've been calling transcendence, if we just give it a different name, is is this ultimate destruction of bodies, of identities, of societies... Of self. Of self, in a way that is so transformative that at the end of the film when mademoiselle finds out whatever it is that anna has to share with her which we don't find out and i think that's really exciting i think it may have i think it may have made the movie come off as a little cheesy if it tried to sum up what transcendence was in any line of dialogue but it just comes mademoiselle just says after she finds out keep doubting yes and then proceeds to kill herself so this is this is something that you know do we ever want to know like is this is this something that was so profound that mademoiselle felt that she needed to keep it secret or was it so horrifying that she couldn't bear to share it i don't know if it matters because again at the end of the day this film is saying maybe this is awful maybe we need to acknowledge that the system we have is fundamentally broken if it allows for us to see this as a beautiful and idealize it. I mean, really just glorify it in an unhealthy way. Yes. And the fact that it's a institution or a group of people that are not religiously affiliated, Mm -hmm. I think is also a really strong move because this film is not making statements about religion, but it's still able to touch on issues of religion. But it's more, you're right. It's more than just religion because I think it made the film may not have been as powerful or quite as profound if it had just been a religious parable and something off of that but because it's a it rather functions as a societal thing and something that society has held up for so long it allows it to be more universal and cover and reach out to people who may not be religious or french right and that's one of the great things about this film is that we get the impression this is a global organization this is this truly does transcend to go back to that word um 
any personal circumstances, right, to, to really be a human issue. In previous episodes, we actually criticized films for giving us a different act two or act three than act one, uh, and that we actually had a huge problem with that. So we mentioned in Us that we felt like the first 45 minutes were really strong, and then it just went in a way that we weren't prepared for it to go. And we mentioned in Hereditary that the first two hours of the film were quite remarkable, and then in the last four minutes it takes a handbrake turn. So it's interesting to me that both you and I found this film to not be a problem film, considering that we go into the film thinking that Lucy is just scarred mentally um, as well as physically, and we're like, oh, so sad. And that it's supernatural in origin. Yes, or mental. Or or mental. You're right, it is... I say it's, I didn't, I guess I came off too strongly that it is confirmed supernatural. It could also be mental. But I mean, the signs do, in that first act at least, point to that it is probably. It's something, right? It's something something else. else. And then when Lucy kills the family, we think, oh, well, clearly she's messed up. And then we kind of expect the film, actually, I'm not sure I knew where to expect the film to go, right? I thought the film was going to be wrapping up. I thought it might be short because I was like, we had already seen a lot of really traumatic stuff. I was like, this is already super intense. I see what you were talking about. This is definitely very extreme, very French. I don't know where this movie could possibly go next. And then uh, Anna goes to the basement. Which, this shouldn't work, right? Like, you shouldn't be able to say, but wait... There's, There's more. more. Uh, and I think some films have done it well, like Cabin in the Woods, but Cabin in the Woods was only able to do it well because it's a comedy, I would argue, because it's like, yes, yes, you know this trope, but do you? But this film is definitely it's, not a it's comedy. It's not a comedy. <laughs> and yet it, it says, oh, but wait, whatever was haunting Lucy, be it supernatural or mental, certainly the, the naked scarred woman was not actually physically there, no. but everything else that has been haunting her is 100% legit, and now we're going to go into this 30-ish minutes of torturing one person and having it feel very sterile in a way that none of the rest of the film did. And it takes the actually takes the time to have a kind of exposition-y scene where it lays out all of this, and we've had problems. We had definitely problems in Us where it got very exposition-heavy and explained some of the th- themes or through lines that Jordan Peele perhaps was going through. And this film does something very similar with Mademoiselle, who talks about how the world is divided into victims, people who can't withstand the torture and go mad, and martyrs, people who accept the tortures and transcend. We had problems with this in Us because it felt too on the nose and not really connected with the rest of the film. But I think it works in this film. I think it works because we would never go there otherwise. Right. right? We need somebody to tell us what the connecting strand is holding everything together. Because in us, I think we knew, right? We're like, okay, we we see where you're headed. Don't go there, right? But but in in this (laughs) film, when that happens, we are so startled because we are in that moment, Anna. We are experiencing this as somebody who doesn't know that there's this giant conspiracy-like group. Because why would you? Why would you? Nothing in the film prior to this has set us up for this. So we really need that part where Mademoiselle's like, do you know what martyrs means? And we're like, no, what does it mean? And then, you know, she's like, let me tell you, little girl, you know, like, we need that. And then, like Anna, we are, the audience is taken with her underground, and we begin that period of being beaten and degraded. Yes. Past the point of no return. 
if I were to come up with a metaphor for why this this film works, and not and other films don't, is that I feel like it's almost like a Russian nesting doll situation, where it's all still a, a Russian nesting doll. It's just that we've gone from really big, and then we take the lid off and we're like, oh, there's another doll inside, and then we're like, what's this doll look like? And then we're like, oh, what? There's something else inside, and then, and it goes like that where it's all related, it's all connected. It's just moving from this macro level of, you know, the police discovering this little girl and what's going to happen to this micro level where at times the only thing we see is, is her face. Her face and her, some, her and eyes. And sometimes just her eye. And so that it's a film that is truly moving us down to that smallest component. And that, to me, was a really risky move, but it was one that paid off. A question that will inevitably come up when at some point in watching this film is, has it gone too far? Because the performances in this film really force you to to feel as though you were watching somebody be systematically and again dispassionately tortured so that whether or not you are guilty as in you helped strip off skin you are engaged in this process just as much as the person being tortured and the person doing the torturing. Mm-hmm. And this is just a fun little tidbit, but the director actually talked about in an interview how one of the most difficult parts of making this film, beyond the obvious technical components, was forcing his actresses to cry every single day for an excessive amount. I mean, that just sounds like really, really traumatic stuff. As a horror scholar, I've encountered a lot of skepticism about you know, choosing to, to devote my career to studying films that are going to traumatize and scar people. <laughs> Stephen King has also mentioned this as a horror writer, that there's an implicit and sometimes explicitly stated feeling of what is wrong with you? Yeah. That you would not only watch this, but watch this or write it or make it enough that you would build your life around it. <laughs> And that's a that's a very that's valid a pretty question. valid question. That makes that's fair. That's a good question to ask. Like, we told you to watch this at the end of last episode, and then warned you again to, and told you to watch it here. How responsible it is it of us to to do that and the filmmakers to do it? Because we've probably pretty much guaranteed that we have scarred every single one of the people that listen to this podcast if they hadn't seen the film beforehand. Sure. It's a tricky question, yeah. especially with a film like Martyrs that is taking us to places that are asking us to have really uncomfortable questions at the same time that we have really uncomfortable images and, and experiences. It's not, this is not a film that you can passively experience. No, it's really not. It, it, it forces you to be very, very disturbingly present in the moment and does not let up. And again, other films, other horror films don't go this far. No. In other ones, you know, you're like, hmm, there could have been a little bit more blood. And then you like keep eating your popcorn. This film, you viscerally find yourself feeling as though you have, if not experienced this torture, as Anna is experiencing it, then you're certainly like, instead of secondary smoke, right? Like Mm it's secondary torture. Like you're experiencing it almost in the same way as if you were there. So I was eating when I started this film. Yeah, that was my I was not eating by the time I finished this film. In fact, 
for some strange reason, I had no appetite at all. Yeah, I feel as though I really do owe you a bit of an apology, because I just kind of handed this film to you and was like, watch this, yay, and then I abandoned you. Consider this your official apology. Well, thank you. Uh Uh, Because you're right, yeah, it's not a film that you can just turn off. Even when it ends, you, you you can't turn it off. You can't get the images out of your head. They're permanently burned into your brain for life. So why would we allow ourselves to have this happen? Why would we say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let myself be scarred. Uh, and and why would we do this as filmmakers? Why would we do this as, as film scholars? It's a question that I think is worth asking. I would argue it's a question that Martyrs kind of answers, though. So if we go back to the title of the film. Martyrs. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Just reminding you in case uh, you forgot the title. (laughs) That's bad. Um, So martyr stems from the ancient Greek word maturos, which means a witness. I think that's important because we often think of martyr like, you know, like she's being such a martyr. Mm -hmm. We don't use that as like she's being such a witness. We use it as, man, she sure is pretending to take one for the team, but really Mm -hmm. complaining about it a lot. That's how we use it. Also, and it's interesting how, like, with a layer of irony that, that this word often gets used in society. Yes. Yeah, we don't typically, other than really in like a, a religious or historical sense, we don't talk about martyrs today as something that, you know, like, oh, she's she's a martyr, which technically we could if we go back to the, to the root word that it means to be a witness. Yeah. And for the martyrs that the society wants to produce and for historical and religious ones, it's witnessing that which is beyond whatever that might be. But I think this film goes as far as it does in such a way that it becomes intentional or not a commentary on the fact that the horror genre continually forces us to be martyrs. It forces us to witness things that we don't want to witness, but that that's exactly why somebody needs to witness them because none of this is, none of these cultural tensions or anxieties are absent in the real world. And this goes back to that trauma framework that we discussed at the beginning of this podcast. And even though these things make us uncomfortable and they are very hard, that doesn't mean that these are questions that you can just ignore or should ignore. And so we're forced to witness affliction and grief beyond our accepted worlds. Yeah. It goes beyond the threshold. It goes into the... You briefly get to enter the void. What we can never forget is that underneath the gore, underneath the violence, is perhaps one of the most authentic portrayals of what it means to be human if our definition of human is broken, beaten, and traumatized. So the next film that we are going to be discussing deals with very similar themes in that it also puts us It puts us right with the character. That is the 2019 film Midsummer. It also allows us to experience this grief, this overwhelming, all of these, there is a lot of terrible stuff that happens in Midsummer. Yes. And we're forced to go there. But unlike in Martyrs, it doesn't always 
work in Midsummer. I hope you'll join us for this podcast on Midsummer because Anthony, I think, and I are in a little bit more disagreement than normal. Usually we're pretty much... Yeah, we normally have pretty much the same... Like when we're deciding what to talk about, we normally have, if not the same opinions, very, very similar. And we just have minor little quibbles that we'll go back and forth on. This film, I think we do disagree quite a bit more on. I think I'm a bit more quite a bit more positive on it than you are. Yes, and I I have very distinct thoughts about why the film doesn't work for me, even though it is working for some people so much that there are people out there who think it's the best film they've ever seen. Mm -hmm. So I hope you will join us for that exciting discussion. But in the meantime, be sure to give us a like, share us with your friends, tweet about this online, just get the word out there, and... Be sure to join us next time for our discussion on Midsummer.